This is episode 136 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Craig Goldslager. Craig is married to speech pathology, literally. As the husband of a practicing SLP, Craig knows the practice and business landscape of speech pathology has changed significantly in the recent past. The financial implications of being an SLP have changed as well. He found it utterly financial to help SLPs and private practitioners become better educated, prepared, and organized for the financial implications of being a speech-language pathologist. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Do you feel unfulfilled in your career as a medical SLP and perhaps a bit confused on how to even move forward? Do you feel completely overwhelmed, overworked, overstressed, yet completely misunderstood and underappreciated in your facility? Do you feel like you're riding the therapy hamster wheel, unsure if you're even providing good therapy for your patients? When you started practicing medical speech pathology after grad school, did you get overwhelmed with how much medical SLP information was missing from your graduate education? If you've been working in the field for a while, do you feel frustrated that there's no one single centralized source to stay up to date on all the latest research and treatments that are coming out every year? Are you even sure you're providing the right and best, most up-to-date treatment techniques for your patients? Are you sick of paying up to $500 for courses that teach you about just one of the many, many conditions you need to stay up to date on? Imagine if there was one place that you could go to receive all the support and resources to help you eliminate these feelings. Imagine how much time and frustration you would save if you had immediate access to one centralized location for blind peer-reviewed resources. Imagine if you had access to several clinical experts and university professors to help guide you in your clinical decision-making with personalized response to your clinical cases. Imagine if you felt you had the detailed, personalized support you needed to succeed in your practice and your career from a wide range of experts and fellow clinicians who care deeply about your career development. Do you think then your patients would receive higher quality care and actually make progress towards their goals? Do you think you would get more rewarded and recognized for this progress among your patients and in your facilities? What if I told you I've created this exact solution? It's called the Medical SLP Collective. It's a monthly membership program and vibrant community of fellow medical SLP clinicians and researchers who are supporting each other to provide better care for their patients and therefore also advance their careers. My name is Kristen West. I'm a pediatric speech language pathologist that specializes in children with medically complex histories, and I've worked with them in a variety of settings. What I love most about the Med SLP Collective is that it is such a passionate group of speech language pathologists that really strive to provide the highest level of care to their patients through the implementation of evidence-based practice in our field. It's also such a supportive learning environment where everybody is willing to share their expertise and their knowledge to help grow individuals' professional practice, but also advance our profession. It really is such an interesting and unique learning community 
community, I never have incur- um, I never have encountered anything like that in the field until I joined the Med SLP Collective, and I really can't say enough great things about it. I truly cannot say enough good things about being a part of the Med SLP Collective. It's really changed the way that I approach every single type of patient that I may not have been 100% confident in. So obviously we wanna work within our realm of competency and make sure our patients are getting the best care, but sometimes the job comes with things that we maybe don't feel highly confident on. So I was trained in voice and I was lucky enough to be trained by an incredible voice pathologist and feel very confident in my voice skills. But my entire career, I have worked in voice and swallowing institutes. And so with the voice people come the swallowing people as well. And that's not something I always was very confident in. And the Med SLP Collective has given me so many resources and so much actual information that you can use in the clinic. I've always loved going to conferences and meeting colleagues and networking and being inspired by the researchers, but I always felt lackluster as I came away from it, like I didn't have anything to go home and use. And anytime I'm feeling unsure of anything, I can reach out to a mentor in the group or just the other members. You can go on the website and get instructions on how to do exercises, the rationale behind it, evidence-based practice. It's really just a wealth of knowledge and it has grown my clinical practice immensely and made me feel so much more confident and inspired as a clinician. Hey everybody, Natalie Douglas here from Central Michigan University. And there are so many reasons that I love the Medical SLP Collective and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Probably the biggest reason is that I love how clinicians are able to approach mentors in ways that specifically solve clinical problems that they're facing right in the moment and get very tailored advice that is supportive and really meeting the needs that they have right then, which I think is such a unique contribution to the profession. I also sincerely appreciate how much Teresa really cultivates a culture of respect and collaboration and the resources are just completely top-notch. She has a rigorous peer review process and the resources again are based on true SLP need and I just love how this is an awesome way to merge research and clinical practice in a supportive collaborative environment can't say enough about it. If you are interested in checking out the MedSLP Collective, um, please head over to MedSLPCollective.com and get on the waiting list. Enrollment opens May 17th. Uh, We will be open for about a week and then we will be closing enrollment down. We do have a student rate this time. I know, especially with COVID-19, we have so many grad students that have been displaced from their placements, externships, practicums, and we want to help. So we will have a student rate available. We also do have corporate rates now. So if you are looking to get um, access to the MedSLP Collective for all of the SLPs in your facility or within your corporation, uh, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to work out a rate for you. So again, enrollment opens May 17th. Head to MedSLPCollective.com to get on the waiting list and be the first to be notified. Hello, Craig. Hey, Teresa. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. So tell the people who you are. Sure. Uh, Just before I 
get into that, I just would like to read a quick disclosure to your listeners. And so anything we talk about today regarding financial planning is for general educational purposes only. You should not rely solely upon this information in making decisions about your specific situation. So again, it's for general purposes and it should not be construed as tax, legal, or specific investment advice. Noted. So with that being said, (laughs) my name is Craig Goldslager and I'm the founder of a financial services company called Utterly Financial. And our mission is to help SLPs plan for retirement. Awesome. And one of the reasons that I got into this specific world of working with SLPs specifically is I happen to be married to a clinician. Hi, Lauren. And so... Years ago, as I was talking with her, as she was completing her CF year and working with some of her peers about just basic financial planning questions, I was starting to notice a pattern of getting similar questions from clinicians as they're preparing to enter the workforce, such as what kind of benefits do I need to get or what type of employer should I work for or what is this thing called retirement? How do I save for it? Taxes, who wants to pay taxes? And so all of these questions, eventually I started speaking and having some engagements with universities around the country, talking to graduating CFs. And that's also led to some relationships with private practitioners around the country. So I work with private practice owners in 12 different states right now. And we work with their therapists, their teams, help them create exit plans for when they want to leave their practice and transition to other therapists on staff and putting group benefits together, just the whole gamut, if you will. So I would say about 80% of my clients now are SLPs or private practice owners. I love it. Such a cool little niche, Craig, but we need you. So yeah. <laughs> not, it's not so, not so little. No, I, it's there's not. Hundred, right. hundreds, of, hundreds of thousands of right. you. So I certainly can't work with all of you, but uh, you know, it's, there's, there's so many. Right. Awesome. All right. So where do you want to start today? You know, I, I appreciate you so much for having me. I know we traded some emails and I've been working over the last month with, some of my clients and their therapists and just talking about what's going on right now. And first, I hope for those listening today, you're safe, you're well, you're washing your hands. And there's a lot going on. I know you're all so busy learning teletherapy, chasing around your kids, becoming teachers in your own households, trying to run a business. If you're a sole proprietor or run a practice, they're they're so overwhelming. And yet there's new tax laws weekly, even daily now. Things are changing all the time. So But my goal for today, Teresa, is to just share some of the common things that I've been talking with practitioners about, SLPs about, maybe just some planning techniques that you can do while everyone's going through the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, yeah, excellent. I'd I'd love to hear it. I think think what people don't realize is is knowing all of this information in and of itself is a full-time job. And you know, you're a wonderful professional to lean on. And, you know, people ask me all the time, where do I get my information? And it's, yeah, it's, it's wild to have to keep up with all that stuff. Right. And even if you're not a private practitioner, if you are an SLP, if you're working in a hospital setting, whatever the case may be, it's always good to have a team of professionals like you're talking about. Maybe your spouse is part of that, an attorney, an estate planning attorney, an accountant, people like that are all experts in their field. And they're the ones that can guide you on these decisions. Part of their responsibilities in working with you is to be upfront with all of their knowledge and educate themselves on what's going on and how things are evolving. Like I mentioned, things are evolving daily. So it really is a full-time job trying to stay on top of all the congressional legislation that's being passed. Yeah. So what, one of the main things that was passed a month ago, so on March 27th, the president signed into law something called the CARES Act. And what the CARES Act was, was the third part of a three-phase stimulus plan, really to help 
put money into more Americans' hands as everyone's gone through the COVID-19 crisis over the last six, eight weeks, however long it's been now. It's hard to keep track, right? It's uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all blurring together. Exactly. So I break it down into five key components of what everyone should know. The first you may have already received in your checking account, which was the economic stimulus. So that's a fancy way of saying checks in the mail. So if you, sign, if you file your tax returns as e-file you, and you do direct deposit, most likely you would have received a stimulus check by the time you're listening to this. What the government decided to do was, based on your 2019 adjusted gross income from your tax return, if it f- was in a certain threshold, depending on your tax filing status, they were going to give you money. So for instance, if you are married and you file jointly with your taxes, if your adjusted gross income for 2019 was less than $150,000, you should have received a stimulus check for $2,400, $1,200 for you and $1,200 for your spouse. If you have children under the age of 17, you receive an extra $500 per child. So if you have two children, let's say aged six and nine, your check would be for $3,400. 2400 for the parents, 1000 for the kids. As of now, that was only for one check, but pending the crisis, they might decide to issue more checks and issue more payments. I, I mentioned things are changing all the time. The first CARES Act sent $2.3 trillion to Americans. Last week, another $484 billion was approved. So now it's up to $3 trillion almost of economic stimulus. So if you haven't received a stimulus check yet, you might be receiving it by paper check if you normally file by mail. So if you're waiting on the check, check your mail, make sure that the IRS has your most recent address of where you live. Maybe you've moved in the last 12 months or 24 months. If you haven't filed your 2019 taxes yet, they will base it on your 2018 adjusted gross income. So maybe you filed and you moved since then. So make sure you have that the IRS has and the Treasury Department has your most recent address. They have your most recent checking account information as well. It's possible you've changed banks and switched accounts. So make sure you have that information as well. Let me ask you a question, Craig. I was talking to one of the one of a, gra- a grad student recently, and she was saying that she so she's just going to be graduating like next weekend, I think, and supposed to be starting her CF. But obviously, that's all pushed back because of all this. And she was saying that she's not eligible for the stimulus check. Do you know why that would? be for that college age? Great question. So if you are still a dependent on someone else's tax return, you will not receive a stimulus check. So she would have to speak to her parent or guardian. She might still be be being claimed by them. She also may not have filed a tax return if she hasn't worked. She might not have any record with the IRS and they might not issue a stimulus check for that reason. So really great point to bring up. Talk with your parents or guardian if you just completed CF or you're just entering CF. Usually if you're under the age of 25, maybe you're still on your parents' health insurance for that reason. And if that's the case, maybe they're still claiming you as a dependent. So important to... But even if you're a dependent, but you're not under 17, are you SOL then? You're not necessarily SOL, but (laughs) you as the parent are SOL. You won't receive the stimulus check. So there is that gray zone of age range, which depending on your situation, you may or may not receive the stimulus. There's a lot of online calculators. If you just Google online stimulus calculator, you'll see a bunch and that'll help give you the projection of what your adjusted gross income needs to be to fit into that qualifying range. Maybe you make too much money. And if that's the case, you won't receive a stimulus check either. It's not for every American. The Treasury Department estimated 80 to 90% of Americans will get some form of check. Um, It phases out after a certain level too. So you might not get the full amount. You might get $100, $500, some amount, 
or you might get nothing. So you can check out these calculators and figure out what the amount you'll be receiving is. Awesome. Thank you. The second part of the CARES Act that I think everyone should know about is something called a coronavirus-related distribution. And so if you have money in a qualified investment account, think about your 401k, your 403b, your IRAs, your Roth IRAs, if, if you've been directly impacted by COVID-19. So if you, a spouse or a dependent has been diagnosed, if you've experienced adverse financial consequences from being furloughed, laid off, or have an hours reduction, if your child's daycare or preschool has been closed, there's a lot of different reasons as to why someone would qualify. The reason why this is an important thing to know about is traditionally, if you wanted to access money in those type of accounts, a qualified account, if you're under the age of 59 and a half, you usually have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty for accessing the money. For the year 2020, that 10% penalty has been waived. So if someone's looking for access to liquidity between clients, friends, family, everyone's up against it right now. Everyone's trying to scramble and just you know take care of themselves, their family, worrying about today. If that's the case, maybe you've been saving for retirement, but those dollars may be better served to help right now with necessities in the household. And honestly, there's no shame in doing that. If you need access to capital, you, there's a lot of different ways. We'll be talking about that on today's episode. And so, yes, retirement's great, but if you're 30 years old and you've been working in a hospital setting for five years, you're not going to retire for 25, 30, 35 years. Maybe it's okay to take some money from a retirement account, just trying to get money together. So again, the benefit of that is there is no 10% withdrawal penalty, and that's up to a $100,000 distribution. So if I take a full distribution of $100,000 from my IRA, normally I would get $90,000, but now I'll get $100,000. And also normally they withhold 20% taxes. If you take that type of distribution, that's also waived during this time period. Oh, wow. So if you take 100 out, you'll get 100 right into your bank account. And there's a couple of other benefits too. One, Normally, you have to re- if you want to repay that, you can within a 60-day window. You now have a three-year time period to put that money back into your retirement account if you want. So again, consider this a short-term loan. Instead of having to go out and max out credit card debt and take on high interest rates, you can borrow from yourself. You can take it from your account. You can put it back. You don't have to. And the other part is normally, if qualified money, it's been growing tax-deferred. So if you want to access that money, you have to pay income tax on the money as you take the distribution. That's still the case, but you have a three-year time period to stretch out the tax that's due. So if I take a $100,000 distribution and I'm in the 20% tax bracket, I owe $20,000 of tax, I can stretch that over 2020, 2021, and 2022, pay about $6,700 a year instead of paying all $20,000 of tax this year. Cool. So again, that's for all types of qualified accounts. One important qualifying statement I will say, your employer has to adopt this into their retirement plan. So every retirement plan is operated by your company, whether you work for a private practice, a large hospital group, a larger setting, maybe one of the national staffing agencies that place SLPs around the country. They dictate the rules of this. If you have your own IRA, if you have your own 401k, if you have a SEP IRA, if you're an independent contractor, you can set those rules and those parameters. So it's important to know what the rules are for your specific situation. If you log on to your provider's website, um, the 401k website, where you can check your balances, change investment options, things like that, there's a lot of helplines or they will tell you if you qualify or if your employer has already done this. If they haven't, and this is something you're looking to do, 
you can always contact HR and try and see if there's a way to do that. So again, that's for up to $100,000. So just a way to try and find liquidity right now. Yeah, cool. Yeah, because I know usually they tell you like, don't touch your 401k, but if you need to and if, and if I and if I, and, family, <laughs> and if I told you eight weeks ago, we would be sitting having this conversation without having left the house in eight weeks and whatever else has gone on, you would all say I was crazy. And so, right, retirement's important, saving for retirement's important, but just a way to access money that traditionally you wouldn't be able to without paying penalty. Yeah. The third part of the CARES Act that I think everyone should know about is something called pandemic unemployment insurance. So what the government decided to do was they know how hard it's been for everyone, specifically SLPs. I know that maybe you've had a reduction in hours or you've had been furloughed by your employer, whatever the case may be. There's been a lot of additional rules that make someone eligible to apply for unemployment assistance. And maybe you haven't been directly impacted, but maybe your spouse has, maybe your parent has, or maybe a child has. So this is all really important for information for anyone who's been directly impacted and had a reduction in hours or been furloughed, laid off, whatever the case may be. So traditionally self-employed individuals, gig economy workers like Uber drivers or furloughed employees wouldn't be eligible for unemployment, they are eligible to apply right now. And an important thing to know is that individual states determine the qualification and administration of unemployment benefits. This isn't done by the federal government. You have to go to your state department, go to their website, call their 1-800 number. It's run state by state because every state has different state allotments for unemployment insurance. Some states might have a maximum of $250 a week. Other states might have $600 a week. So the rules are a little different. The amounts that you can claim are a little different. But if you think you will qualify, you fill out an application and why it's so important right now, again, I mentioned the government cleared through the original CARES Act or the first version, $2.3 trillion. What they're doing for anyone who qualifies for at least $1 of state unemployment assistance, they will add $600 per week to that total. And they're doing that through July 31st, 2020. So essentially you could be making maybe not as much as you were as an employee or working for someone, but that's why it's so important to know if it's a spouse that needs to apply, a parent, somebody who is working even part-time. Just You can submit an application if you qualify. You go to the website, you fill it out, you make your attestations that I've been impacted. They'll follow up with your employer and, and do all of that. So really important to know that during these times, you can go and apply. Worst case, they say you don't qualify and then you're not approved. But You'll, there's a lot of different boxes to check now. You can say you've been directly impacted by COVID-19 if maybe your child's daycare has been closed or the preschool is closed and you, you or your spouse can't work because they have to stay home with the children. That's sometimes an app, a reason to check the box on the website. And so I think it's also important to note that if you've been impacted, and I'm confident that the majority of your listeners, Teresa, have been impacted and had a reduction in caseload and hours dropped, if that's the case, you've had a reduction in salary, you've had hours cut, your caseloads drop, you can consider applying. Again, based on your individual circumstances, but just something to be cognizant of. Yeah. And, and I, I want to just touch on like the, like, I guess the elephant in the room, the stigma of doing this, because for me, I don't see it as that. I see it as taking care of business, taking care of your family, the government helping us out, whatever your political views are, it, it doesn't matter. And I think 
so many, I've talked to so many people that are like, I can't claim unemployment. That's so, you know, that's so shameful that, yeah, what did I do to get in this situation there? I can't stress how many times I've told people you didn't do anything. Nobody could have, no one would have predicted a global pandemic was going to hit. And this was the situation we were going to be in. So I just, yeah. And it's, it's across the board and think about how much time you spent studying, getting your certifications, building your expertise to be a swallowing specialist or a certified orofacial myophologist, whatever your degree or advanced certification is, and you put all this time and effort in, it's, you want, I would imagine SLPs are on the bottom of the list. Doctors, attorneys, people who have advanced degrees are unable to find work. I've heard stories through colleagues that they have clients that are orthopedic surgeons making seven figures a year that had to file for unemployment because there's no elective surgery and they can't do their job. So it touches all income levels, all genders, all races, all income levels, just it's across the board. And so I'm so happy you brought that up. I think, again, every situation is different. A lot of things I know within the SLP world are moral and ethical obligations. It's up to every individual if they think it's appropriate for them. But I, I totally agree, Teresa. It's sometimes it's, it, you, know, you have to look deep within and, and talk to your peers, talk to your colleagues, see what they're doing. I I think it's okay. And even if they're not, like what you said, it, what's most important is that you are safe, your family is safe and well, and you have to take care of putting food on the table and necessities. Yeah. It's crazy that we have to think about it like that. Yeah, but yeah. Here yeah. We are. I mean, I'm a mom, you're a dad. I, <laughs> we do what we have to for our family. So I, yeah, I mean, I just think of the... Amen, <laughs> amen to that. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, the government, like I said, allocated almost $3 trillion to help the American people. and if you qualify for some subsidies, you should apply. So some other provisions, uh, I would call this category four, just some others that I lumped in. If a lot of your listeners have student loan debt, this one's important. So federal direct student loans have been deferred through September 30th, 2020. So that's for federal direct loans only. If you've refinanced and privatized your loans, this this, this specific thing is not applicable to you. You'd have to contact your lender who you refinance through to do that. But what, what's happening is that the next six months worth of payments can be deferred if you choose to defer them. Deferring mean that they're not forgiven, but you just sort of will pause your payments if you want through September. And why that's important is for the reasons we just talked about. If money's really tight and you can't afford to make your minimum payment on the student loan debt, well, then you can do, delay that for six months. What's also important is they lowered interest rates to zero. So the opposite is true. Maybe you haven't been impacted. Maybe you still have a full caseload or your spouse is still working. If that's the case, you should consider still making payments because you're going to be making them at 0% interest rate. So normally if I'm making a $300 a month payment to my student loan debt, let's say 150 is going to principal and 150 is going to interest, all 300 will go to principal right now. So it's a way to pay down the debt a little faster. So you know, we'll talk a little later about there are a lot, there's a lot of, we've talked about a lot of negatives so far. There are some positives and there are some things to try and leverage and use to your advantage right now. If, if it's applicable, again, however many people are listening, everyone's situation is different. And that's why I read the disclaimer at the beginning. I can't know what's best for you, but I can just try and give some guidance. Yeah. I think that that student loan one is huge. I know there's so many people with just tons and tons and tons of student loan debt and some SLPs are still working a ton. Some are still working overtime if they're working in the hospitals and dealing with these COVID patients. So yeah, take your money and pay down your student loans. Heck. 
Right. (laughs) Totally. And so what's also important is if you're trying to qualify for PSLF, public student loan forgiveness, these six months of deferral will count towards the 120 minimum that you need. So without going into a ton of detail, if you're trying to qualify for PSLF, you know what I'm talking about. These six months count even if you pay zero. So don't keep that in mind. If you're on the fence of should I pay, should I not pay, that's not impacted by this decision. Another planning tip that I can give to if you are a sole proprietor or a business owner, one thing that you can consider doing, and this kind of leads into the fifth and last topic, talking about all of the things that the government's done for business owners in the last eight weeks. One thing that you can do normally for your employees, you can offer them up to $5,250 to for something like tuition reimbursement, something directly allocated to giving them certifications, advancing their abilities. What's changed for 2020 is you can use the 5250 as a student loan bonus to help your employees pay down their loans as well. So normally as an employer, if you bonus someone money, it counts as income earned for the employee. So if I bonus my, if Teresa, you're my employee and I bonus you $5,250 for student loan bonus, in a normal year, that 5250 would count as income. Counts as income, meaning I have to pay tax on that money at the end of the year. So it's great because I got a bonus, but I have to pay tax on it. One of the provisions within the CARES Act and the CARES Act was 883 pages. So if you want to read it and you're looking for something to do, go right ahead. But one of the, one of the main sections that jumped out to me was this provision that allowed you to do student loans as well, not as well as tuition reimbursement, but really it's either or. The total pot of money is $5,250. So if you want to bonus it, if you're a sole proprietor, you can consider bonusing it to yourself. If your spouse is on the payroll, you can consider bonusing it to your spouse. Really good questions for your CPA. Okay. Um, I was just about to say, who who can help me do that? Okay. R- reminder, friendly okay. disclaimer, I'm not a okay. CPA. W- one of my roles is to help with this macroeconomic thinking and work with clients to think about the best financial decisions for them. But the accountant's the one who prepares these documents. They're the ones that can help you determine you're eligible based on the CARES Act, but there's also fine print, right? We'll talk about why fine print is so important and what's required when you're where you're looking at insurance contracts or retirement plans, like we talked about distributions, maybe your plan sponsor allows it, maybe they don't. So have the conversation with your accountant, try and it's just another way to try and pay down student loan debt. So if you're a sole proprietor, something or a business owner, something to look at as well. Cool. That's very helpful. And number five. So the SBA, the small business administration, they were large recipients as of part of the $2.3 trillion of the CARES Act. And so there's two major things that you can do as a business owner. And if you're just a sole proprietor or an independent contractor, this is also important for you. If you're a W-2 employee, maybe fast forward a little bit. But for business owners, this is really important. The first is called an economic disaster loan. So an, an economic injury disaster loan is something that's around through the SBA. Think about Hurricane Sandy for those in the tri-state area, Hurricane Katrina if you lived in the Gulf Coast. Anytime there's a disaster, if your area becomes declared a disaster zone, the SBA steps in and offers small business owners disaster loans. So they're relatively low interest rates, 3.75%, 2.75% if you're a nonprofit or over a long term. And the real goal is to help overcome a temporary loss of revenue. Maybe you need six years, I'm sorry, six months, maybe you need six years, whatever it is, you need access to capital to rebuild your business to help after a disaster hits your area. 
the entire country, all 50 states and a lot of territories, depending on where you're listening, have qualified for as a disaster zone. So you are eligible to apply for an economic disaster loan. One thing that's new with disaster loans is if you apply what the first $10,000 will be converted into a grant. So if you apply for this and you're approved for the loan, that money becomes a grant. So I talk about things changing with the CARES Act all the time. That was what it originally said. Last week, it was, a, it was changed where it's a $1,000 grant per employee up to 10 employees. So if you have, if you're a sole proprietor and it's just you, maybe one office manager, two people, you'd qualify for $2,000 because you have two employees. But again, that part of the loan converts to a grant, but it operates traditionally like a loan would. So if you have a business line of credit or anything like that through your banking relationship, if you want to apply, you go to the SBA website and you apply directly through there. You'll get approved through one of their preferred lenders and it works pretty standard like a loan. So pretty, pretty standard stuff. Yeah. I, I will add that a lot of people that I'm, I work with did not have luck through the SBA site, but had to go to their, their local bank to get that. So that's something that if you're having trouble on the SBA website, going to your local bank may be able to take care of that for you. So it's so important to go to your local bank for the payroll protection program loan. And so this is a new thing that was created as part of the CARES Act. And so the PPP was designed as a short-term bridge loan. So if you have experience trying to obtain a mortgage or try to get some cash for a short-term period, you're familiar with what a bridge loan is. So the terms of this is just a 24-month term note. It has a 1% interest rate. So if you ever tried to borrow money, it's an extremely cheap note to borrow money on. And its real purpose is hopefully the COVID-19 crisis ends soon or at least dissipates over the next few months. And that was the intention behind creating the PPP loan. So the way you calculate what you're eligible for is you're eligible up to 2.5 times your average monthly payroll. And so average monthly payroll will include things like wages, commissions, salaries, certain insurance premiums. There's a pretty long list of things that go into that number. It also includes rent. If you rent your clinic space, it includes utilities. If you have certain types of business reimbursement. And so why it's so important to track your expenses and come up with that calculation is for the first eight weeks. So if you're approved and you use 75% of the loan amount on payroll or payroll type expenses, that first eight weeks of expenses will be forgiven by the government. So I talked earlier about student loan deferral, the huge difference between forgiveness and deferral. Deferral is just a temporary stoppage of your payment you still owe the balance, you still owe the principal. With forgiveness, that will be wiped off your loan amount. So that's one of the reasons people like public student loan forgiveness or the PSLF, right? You get a chance to have some of your loans forgiven. So you'll have up to, for your first eight weeks of expenses, that amount of money, again, if it's 75% used towards salary expense, will be forgiven. You might qualify for more, you might not use the full allotment of money over those eight weeks, and that's where that 24-month term period comes in at 1% interest. So as you mentioned, Teresa, really important to go through your local bank for this. The main reason being, so these loans, the PPP loans are 100% backed by the government. To complete the application, it's a four-page application, relatively simple compared to standard loans. Like It's much shorter to fill this out than the economic injury disaster loan. But what happens is the bank 
if they approve you for the loan and the loan was taken out under false pretenses or fraudulent activity, the bank is on the hook for the money. A lot of banks don't want to underwrite new customers right now because they, there were some statistics they said that, for instance, the SBA, the SBA, they got in two weeks once the economic injury disaster loan application became live, they got the amount of applications they got in two weeks that they normally see in 10 years. Yeah, I'm sure. That, that makes so much sense that you said that too, because I feel like people are like, oh, my you know, banker who I've had a relationship with 10 years, you know, called me up and did it for me. You know, so that makes sense that, you know, they know you're. Yeah. You know. uh, some people, some people have had success with their local credit unions, local institutions. You might be able to go to an online lender and find online lenders who will qualify you for certain uh, PPP loans. So again, just another way to try and qualify for funds right now. If you're, a sole proprietor or an independent contractor, you are eligible to apply as well. And I mentioned that $484 billion was approved last week. That's because funding for the PPP loans ran out two weeks ago. So they did afford another $250 billion for this program. And so it is first come first serve. So if you're on the fence, should I apply? Should I not apply? Apply sooner than later, because based on our recent history, chances are this funding will run out. doesn't mean Congress can't approve more money, but it is first come, first serve. So those were kind of the big five of the CARES Act. Again, I know everyone's going through a really difficult time right now. There's a lot of hardship out there, but if you do find yourself eligible for any of the things that I mentioned, you know, some, I, I joked, we joked in the pre-recording, but, you know, sometimes you have to swallow your pride and you have to do what's best for you and your family. And you just have to do what you can. And there's a lot of things. And we talked about just everything that was mostly at a federal level, certain states, certain cities, certain organizations, even like I've seen Facebook has applied. If you live in certain cities or certain areas, you can apply for a Facebook. Yeah, it's grant. like random cities though. Yeah, right. It is. It's totally random. And that's part of the thing. You just have to, you have to be doing your due diligence. And if you have a team working for you, CPAs, financial advisors, insurance professionals, accountants, attorneys, you name it, that's part of their job to help you for, provide, filter all of this information because that's all everyone has right now. All the, the information overload, right? Content consumption's everywhere. And instead of seeing all of this other information, hopefully it can dispel some of the myths and filter some of this so you get the important information. Well, so I think... I'm a, I always try to, I'm a glass half, gla, oh my gosh, glass half full type person. Like I just try to see the positive in all these situations. And I think this is going to make people try to think differently about the ways that they do some things. And I think for a lot of people, they're just, you know, going about their normal day to day, not thinking anything like this could ever happen. And, you know, it's interesting. I talked to some, some friends and they're like, oh, I'm fine. You know, I've got my, you know, 10 month rainy day fund that I've always saved for, you know, which is smart. And then there's other people that are like, I have no money. I have no cash flow. I never thought this would happen. You know, so for those people, I think this is kind of a reality check. Like maybe it is time to get my finances in order in case something like this, God forbid, ever does happen again. And I think, you know, that's where you come in, Craig, is is um, what you do day to day when a global pandemic isn't going on. Yeah, I, th I think I'm so happy you brought up the example of the rainy day fund because a lot of people underestimate the importance of having liquidity in their lives. And oftentimes it's at their own financial detriment when we talked about how important it is for saving for retirement. But in a normal circumstance, if you wanted to access that money, you have to pay a penalty, you have to pay tax. You have, there's all these hidden financial repercussions that you may not be aware of. 
And so all of a sudden you think you're taking some money and then all of a sudden you get 60% of what you took a distribution on and where did the other 40% go? And it's fees, it's penalties, it's tax. And it doesn't have to just be retirement plans. It might be if you're invested in certain types of products or other things, you know, that we talk about the fine print a lot. There's, there's so much that goes into the detail of a lot of these contracts that you're signing. And I, I work with a lot of clients, they work for larger employers and they just log on to their benefits website one day and check a bunch of boxes and I'm all set and I'm all enrolled. And do you really know what you signed up for? Do you know what the fun? Not a clue. <laughs> there you go. I don't even have to say a hypothetical. That's, that's, that's the answer I get nine times out of 10 because it's easy. It's easy. The easy thing to do is to click the boxes and not read the 100 page summary plan description of what makes you eligible for retirement plan or what makes you eligible for a disability insurance claim, all these different things. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what's, what's important about what you said is I've talked to so many people that are like, Oh, that they've got me covered. They, they'll, they know what I need or they have my best interest in mind. And it's not that the employer doesn't have your best interest in mind, but the employer is not a mind reader and they don't know, they don't know exactly what you need. So you may have just clicked any boxes cause it's what was there, but it may be so far off from what you need. If I can share an example, one that I see yeah. with um, a lot of my clients who work in a hospital setting or fees specifically. So oftentimes you'll, if you work for a hospital group, you'll go on and you'll click the different benefits, right? You'll do your health insurance. You'll do maybe retirement plan. You'll do life insurance. You'll do disability insurance. And I pause on disability insurance because that's such an important one. That's in my opinion, the most overlooked of any of the benefits you sign up for. The reason being one, if you work in a hospital setting, especially if you work in the fees specialty, you're dealing with, you see it firsthand, how TBIs happen, how strokes happen, how people are directly impacted by whatever the case may be. Disability doesn't mean I am in a wheelchair and I'm paralyzed. Disability might, for example, I live in Florida. And what happens if I'm running around outside by the pool and I slip and I fall and I break my wrists? Well, if I do that, I can't work a scope. And I've spent years getting my certification, getting this expertise, knowing how to do that job. And if I can't do that, I can't do my job. And so depending on what the contract, disability insurance contract states, I might be able to claim disability insurance. And I think you talked, you talked earlier about how important it is to remove stigmas from things. You've gone through so much training for this specialization that this, the listeners of this podcast have done. And it's so important that you are compensated for the years, if not decades of schooling that you've done. Maybe you've gotten your PhD. Maybe you hold many different credentials. Maybe you're board certified, whatever it is. If you can't do the specific actions of your job, you should be entitled to some form of compensation. And we pay in, We pay into it. That's what people don't, don't Well, So here, here's too. the big difference, right? When we talk about the 100 page document, oftentimes, and you know, we said earlier, nine out of 10, I would say close to 10 out of 10, 9.9 out of 10 people don't read the fine print. And so what these group policies say is if I can't perform the actions of any job, then I'm disabled. So any job doesn't mean board certified swallowing specialist. It means being a greeter at Walmart. It means being a cashier at the local grocery store. If the disability contract says I have true own occupation and you detail and explicitly say in the application, 50% of my day is putting scope down people's throats. The other 40% is hands-on patient care. 10% is compiling reports and completing IEPs or whatever the case is. 
if you can't do those specific jobs, you're disabled because it's your it's written to your own occupation. So when you're just checking the box at your employer, all that's doing is you're part of a master contract of hundreds or thousands of employers if you work for a large company. And I mean, I often frame it like this to people. Do you think you'll have a better coverage if you're just checking a box or you go through a specific underwriting process detailing the specifics of your job to make sure that it accounts for all the specifics of your job? Yep. Yep. I, I love that you said that. I, I remember there was a girl last year that I work with that tore her rotator cuff in like a, like a, like a softball game, like a summer pickup softball game. And she was like, how am I ever going? Like the doctor said, I can't scope. I can't work for eight weeks until I get this resolved. And I'm like, well, you can file for short-term disability. That's why you bought the policy. Right. And she was like, no, I can't, I'm not disabled. And I was like, well, it's uh, uh, like, <laughs> it's, it's the stigma of the words that I think people are so. Right. I don't like the word disability because it, it brings up these connotations. Yeah, yeah. I think if you think about it as paycheck protection, income replacement protection, it's really what it is. And if, if there are orthopedic surgeons who make, like I mentioned earlier, seven figures, and if they get into a skiing accident and they get a concussion or they have a TBI, or maybe somebody tramples them and they develop a hand tremor, just like if you develop a hand tremor for whatever reason, and they can't perform the fine acute work that's necessary, or if you can't work a scope, or if you can't do hands-on patient care, you can't do the job that you're spent time, money, effort doing. So again, I, 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 yeah, I wasn't expecting this conversation today, Teresa, to go this route, but I'm so happy we're talking about this. It's that you can't let these qualifying stigmas get into your head is you're a highly trained professional for, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a highly trained professional for a specific occupation, for a specific job responsibility. And if you can't do that, you should be able to still earn the nice living that you do for being such a specialist. I mean, we talk about other things like, yeah, maybe, maybe you can go work something that's not to your qualifications or your standards, but you'll make less money. You'll be miserable because you're not doing that job. And it's just, at the end of the day, it comes down to what you want and what you aspire for. And that's where it comes down to figuring out what's best for your situation, what you're entitled to. And I mean, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll do, you can do the group policy, but then you get your own on top and there's different ways. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing type of proposition. And that's also comes down to personal cash flow and figuring out what's best for your situation. But I mean, I'm happy we'd spent some time talking about the disability insurance because at the end of the day, income drives every decision. How you save money for retirement, how you put food on the table, how you buy a car, put gas in the car, all comes down to earning an income. And if you can't perform the jobs, if you can't work a scope, can't be a highly certified specialist, then maybe you have to go do one of these secondary jobs because your income wasn't protected. Yep. All right. So I guess my next burning question, which is totally switching gears here. So I'm 25 years old. I'm an SLP. I'm not making very much money. Why do I need to start saving for retirement now? Wonderful question. And so it's important because of one of the main things, you know, it's hard to invest because you're delaying gratification. Nobody really enjoys the process of saving, right? You want to go buy a new toy. You want to go buy a new car. You want to do something. And so retirement is a common financial goal that most people have. Other common goals like buying a house, starting a family, things like that. 
So retirement falls into that category. And if your goal is to save for retirement, it's important to save in certain types of accounts, like I mentioned earlier, right? There's advantages of, of saving into, if you work for an employer, something like a 401k or a 403b, you might receive something called a match. So a match is if, an, if I make $100,000 and my employer matches 3% of my salary, if I put 3% or $3,000 into the 401k plan, they'll match that $3,000. So all of a sudden I have 6,000 instead of 3,000. It's free money, people. Free money. So that's why you have to take advantage of it. You know, one of the things that we do for our clients is help with investment decisions and invest money for them. I can't get a hundred percent rate of return on money. That doesn't happen. So take advantage of free things like that. And that, you know, so we were talking specifically about retirement. One of the main things of any type of investing, whether it's retirement, saving money for a house, the beauty of something called compound interest. And two months ago, if I tried to come on this and try and explain what compound interest is, it would have been much more complicated. But now all you need to do is put on the news and look at the chart of increases in COVID-19 cases, something called exponential growth and exponential curves. It's really hard for people to save because you don't really see the fruits of your labor on compound interest until you've been doing it for decades. I'm talking about 20, 30 years. Just put on that, look at the COVID-19 chart. Nobody thought that this would necessarily be such a, a huge thing. And we're over a million cases in America alone right now. And that was under a month. But for the for the from February to March, maybe you double cases, so you're doubling from two to four, four to eight. You don't really feel it, and all of a sudden now, when you're doubling every three days from a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand to four hundred thousand, you really see it towards the end of life. So, if retirement is a goal of yours, if you want to stop working someday, and it that's another I don't want to say pejorative connotation, but retirement means different things to different people. So, a question I get a lot of the times is, how much do I have to save for retirement? Well, I'll, then I'll ask you, when do you want to retire, right? Because some people want to retire at 50. Others want to retire at 70. Other people never want to retire because they love being SLPs. And if you love being an SLP, it doesn't mean you have to stop working your profession. It might just give you more flexibility. Maybe you want to go be an adjunct professor, or maybe you want to go teach at a hospital, or you want to be, go, be a consultant for private practices. Whatever it is, saving money gives you flexibility down the road. And it's really the balance between the short-term rainy day fund we mentioned versus longer-term goals. And then depending on your goals is how you determine what type of investments to invest in. So if I'm saving for a house and I want to put money towards a down payment and me and my spouse want to buy a house two years from now, well, that money shouldn't be invested in the stock market because it's too volatile and there's a probability, I would call it 50-50, that two years from now, you'll either have more money or less money. But if you need money in a short-term time period, it should be safe. It should be in something earning some type of interest or growth of the money versus if the money's not going to be used like retirement for 20, 30, 40 years, you can afford to take more risk because you can deal with the ups and the downs of the market. All right. What's next? So I think what's important too is while we're talking about the different type of disability insurance, one of the questions I've been getting from clinicians around the country over the last few weeks is, is there a way to prepare for the coronavirus? Or if a pandemic is coming soon, or again, is there anything I can do? And who knows what it will be? Nobody knew it would be a pandemic. Just like in 2014, nobody knew it would be Ebola. If anybody listening remembers the Ebola scare, there was a ton of volatility in the stock market. People were thinking it was going to be a, a, a potential pandemic also. So I, I do air quotes, and I know it's an audio platform, but the next coronavirus, there's always something, there's always threats 
in your life that exist. And we talked about disability or losing an income. It could be death of you, a spouse, a coworker. It could be termination from employment, something like what we're going through right now. It could be a divorce from a spouse. It could be if you're a co-owner 50-50 with another business owner. I can't tell you how many times I talk with business owners that have a falling out for whatever their case may be. And you have to try and have an equitable breakup. It's just like a divorce, but for your business as opposed to your personal life. So there's a bunch of different threats, a bunch of different things that can happen. I think it's really important to just be prepared for all these different things that can be thrown at you. So we talked about disability insurance as one. I think another priority that people need to do is to have something called life insurance if you have someone dependent on your income. So that could be a spouse, it could be a child, it could be a parent. A lot of people take care and help their parents with assistance these days. Family, cousins, maybe you're charitable and you want to leave a legacy to your alma mater. That's what life insurance does. It helps provide safety and income and basically a check to someone that you care about, someone you call your beneficiary. So that helps take care of some things because over the last few weeks, people have been asking me if, if I were to pass away from COVID-19, would I collect on life insurance? You would, but people don't know these things. And it, it's a scary time. I've had people contact me. I want more. If you're a clinician working in a hospital, maybe you've been thinking about some of these things. It's just, it's really spawned a lot of thinking amongst people who are on the front lines. And it's just a scary time for a lot of people. So trying to eliminate certain threats through that. We talked about the importance of an emergency fund, having an emergency fund, you know, and from there that those are sort of the building blocks that we walk through for, for financial planning. And it's figuring out what's best, what's appropriate for your situation. I mentioned earlier, no two situations are the same. There might be similarities, but you don't know about potential other things, whether it's spouses or maybe you have special needs children. I have some clients that have special needs children and preparing for them and planning for them and planning for the future. So a ton of different directions that you can go in, but it's really helpful to outline it, put a plan together, just like you put an IEP together for clients, right? You do an evaluation, you figure out what's necessary and you follow your steps and you go through an order of operations to know where you're headed and kind of checking the boxes. I know SLPs love checklists, right? And, and checking boxes off and, and doing all that. I'm, I'm married to one, so we have checklists all over the house. So... <laughs> And visual schedules too. She likes to make me visual schedules. Awesome. Yes. That's <laughs> and, great. <laughs> and so it, it's just important to know these things. And you're so busy being professionals. And if we can put COVID-19 aside right now, I know how busy you all are anyway with, with your studies, with your CEUs, with finding new research and doing, if you're an evidence-based practitioner, reading these reports or finding these synopses and doing that, that, that all takes time. And at the end of the day, how you allocate your time is so important, right? And that's one of the reasons people hire professionals is you, you want to trade money for time. And so a lot of people can manage this on their own or they can attempt to, but it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of effort and it's just challenging. So just on, the, on that note, I think it's important to know that there are some, if, 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 if any of these things have crossed your mind, it's important to talk to your financial professionals and your team. There are certain types of concessions being made by financial services companies, insurance companies right now because of COVID-19. So let's take auto insurance, for example. Maybe you've seen or maybe you got an email from your auto insurance company that they're going to discount your next six-month premium because they've realized that people are driving significantly less because of COVID-19. Yes, that's wonderful that they're doing that. And I would also say that 
if you're a two car household or maybe a three car household, and maybe you're not driving as many cars right now, maybe it's worth picking up the phone and contacting the auto insurance company and changing the coverage on one or multiple cars because you're not driving as many miles in the year. And if you're, if you're not driving, you don't need auto insurance. So there's been some success stories about doing that, trying to save some money monthly. So just being aware of those situations that are around you for, for going through and looking at things that you may or may not be using. Um, I think it's a wonderful exercise. People have time on their hands right now. Go through your last month's credit card charges, your last two months. How many subscriptions do you have that you aren't using, right? I don't know how many streaming platforms you have, Teresa, but we have a lot in my household and we watch maybe a handful. So we've cut some of that and it's just, just, I don't watch TV at all. So I don't, oh, well then good for you. No subscriptions. <laughs> so whatever it is though, I think, I think it's a wonderful time to go through a budget. Budgeting is hard because people think it can be challenging. There's a lot of apps that have helped streamline that process and made it simpler for people to sit down and do a budget, but just look at where you're spending money. If someone shows me their budget and their calendar, I have a pretty good idea of what's, what they value. And so for someone like you, maybe you had a loose subscription for Netflix and you don't watch Netflix. So why am I paying $12, $13 a month, but why pay it, right? So that's another thing that people can take advantage of right now. Just download your credit card statements, look at where you're spending, where you're not spending. If you are having financial hardships, you, we talked about the student loan benefits earlier. You can reach out to your mortgage company. You can reach out to your landlord if you rent. Really important if you want something called forbearance. It's not gonna, it's not gonna forgive money that you owe but it might free up cash flow right now because you need to put food on the table or you need to pay other more important bills. They might be willing to work with you and defer payments for a few months. So everyone go, understands what's going on. Contact people. There are other programs you might qualify for. Sometimes we've had to find, implement solutions. So we talked about disability insurance before. Um, same with life insurance. Traditionally, if you want to get life insurance, you might have to have exams done. You might have to fill out lengthy applications, do things like that. Right now, the insurance companies are being more flexible because they know people don't want nurses coming into their home to do applications or blood work. So you might be able to apply and get coverage where normally it's a lengthier process, it's more invasive. You might be able to try and get coverage that way. So reaching out to your professionals, knowing what exists, knowing what's out there, so important right now. Thank you. Any other questions for me? Did you cover holistic planning versus needs-based planning? Oh, no. And so one other thing that I'd like to discuss is just when we talk about financial planning, I think it's important for people to know the difference between holistic planning versus needs-based planning. And so if we take the example of, of buying a house, Teresa, do you own your home? Yes, sir. When you purchase your home, how many professionals do you, would you say you worked with uh, to purchase the home? Don't even want to count how many. So many, right? You, you work with a realtor, you work with a mortgage broker, your title insurance, your homeowner's insurance, an inspector, and the list goes on and on and on. And each of those people are really important in helping make the decision, right? The realtor knows what type of house you want, what style of house you want, what neighborhood you want to live in. The mortgage broker is going to help you find the best mortgage rates, determine what you're eligible for and what you qualify for. And so each of these people go through the process with you to help get you a home. But one thing that you have to consider is even if you are eligible for a certain type of mortgage or can make a certain amount of payment, what amount is appropriate to pay a month for housing? Should I be paying, should I do a 15-year mortgage versus a 30-year mortgage? Should I pay $2,000 a month for a mortgage or $4,000 a month? 
And that comes down to help identifying more of your financial goals, which we mentioned earlier, because you can save for some things, but you can't save for everything, right? And so that's where it comes down to prioritizing and what, knowing what's most important for you. Some people want to live in a more expensive house, but that could be at the detriment of earlier retirement. Or you might want to send your kids to private school, but you can't do that if you live in a bigger house or more expensive house. So when we talk about holistic planning, it's putting all these different pieces together and knowing what's best to try and help accomplish what your goals are. And no one can answer that. I mean, like I said, the mortgage broker will get you the best mortgage rate, but I don't think they're going to ask you, Teresa, how much did you save for retirement last year? Or Teresa, what are some ways to take advantage of tax benefits? Or Teresa, if something happens to me, what happens to my family? So we didn't talk about that earlier, but estate planning, having a will, having trusts. Nope. The 10 second version of that is having your money and your assets go to who you want to go them to go to if something happens to you, right? So the mortgage broker or the realtor is not going to talk to you about that, but an estate attorney might. And so having someone there to help aggregate, consolidate all this information to make sure that your wishes are carried out, to make sure that your goals are being met, to make sure that you're just accomplishing your goals. Because at the end of the day, money is a conduit, like I mentioned, for time. And so when you're trying to say, sacrifice money for time, figuring out do, what, what you want out of life from, from a goals perspective, money is a tool to help you get there, but it's not the end all be all. So knowing some of these qualitative aspects of what you want, like when to retire, where do you even want to live? Just general things like that. Awesome. Thank you for that. All right. Well, I think we covered it all. Do you have any, any final thoughts? Thank you so much for having me. This was so great. I'm so excited for some, uh, some people that I'm friends with and clients of mine to hear me on this podcast. They, they threw this out as a kind of like a joke. They're like, how come you haven't talked to Teresa Richard yet? Or why haven't you been on her podcast? And so I haven't told anybody yet. I'm excited for the oh, uh, surprise good. and the reaction because I know they listen to you every week and it's so great what you do for the SLP community. I can't tell you how many people reference your name and the collective and just, you're such a wonderful resource. And I thank you on behalf of the people that I work with in the community because they talk about you quite a bit. So it was, it was so nice to finally meet you and, and chat with you, you know, under non COVID-19 or when we get to the other side of this thing, I'm happy to go into more detail with your listeners yeah, about, be great. you know, more air quotes, traditional financial planning. Um, I thought it was really important to address the resources and things that are available to people today. By the time this is live, things might have changed. So again, I will tell you to reach out for your professionals. Do not rely solely on this podcast as is, your sole source of information because things do change. There have been so many changes or addendums to the CARES Act already. Um, if you do have any questions, I do have my website. You can head over to utterlyfinancial.com. Click on the Learning Center, see some more articles we've written. Uh, I do host my own podcast called SLP Money. And there we really just talk about the financial decisions and what it's like to be an SLP or private practitioner and help grow your business. So if you have some of these topics were timely for you, we talked more in depth on my podcast about it. So if, if you wanted to also know what it's like to work with me and my team, more information on the website, you can click the start here button, go through our process, learn more about us, see if we're fit to work together. So just like you have with clients, say you're going to try and develop an IEP, you need to do an assessment first, you need to evaluate, set your goals. That's what we use our first meeting for. So we don't charge for that first meeting, but we want to make sure it's a mutual fit that the clients are a good fit for my team and my team is a good fit for the clients. And so if not, we mutually part ways. If we are, we move to the next step, just like you would with any 
SLP client. Beautiful. So thank you so much again for having me. This was, so, this was fun. This was great. There will be a link in the show notes. If you want to schedule time on my calendar, I'm going to open it up for the first 10 listeners to come on to the podcast. And if you go to the show notes, you'll see a special link for the SYP listeners and click that link, set time on my calendar. Happy to discuss any and all financial questions you have. Beautiful. All right. Thank you so much, Craig. It's been wonderful. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills and thank Thank you so much to all of you for listening. 